welcome to another episode of the Vestibule Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Vest, founder and publisher of the Substack newsletter, The Vestibule. This episode is titled Eve, 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 Eve of Destruction and bears the subtitle Doctor Who Gets Loopy on New Year's Day. This review was first published on January 28th, 2022 and was written by myself, Jason P. Vest. The episode's pedigree is as follows. Eve of the Daleks, Series 13's 7th episode, and the 2022 New Year's Day special was written by Chris Chibnall and directed by Annetta Lawfer. It stars Jodie Whittaker as the 13th Doctor, Mandip Gill as Yasmin Yaz Khan, and John Bishop as Dan Lewis. Eve of the Daleks guest stars Ashling B as Sarah, Nicholas Briggs as the voice of the Daleks, Johnny Dixon as Carl Wright, Pauline McLynn as Mary, and Ed Johnny Salmon as Nick. The episode is 58 minutes long and was first broadcast on both BBC One and BBC America on January 1st, 2022. And now, on with the show. What's a Dalek? Deadliest killing machine in the universe. You all done, Nick? I am not Nick. This area is now under Dalek control. What's going on? Section 1. Hereabouts. After the monumental obstacles that showrunner Chris Chibnall placed in Team TARDIS's path during Series 13's fascinating, if not always successful, serial flux, Whovians may be forgiven for expecting the New Year's Day special to ease into 2022 by leaving Flux's universe-shattering events behind. Perhaps the anticipation of enjoying a low-stakes adventure, full of laughter and jokes, grew irresistible during the 27 days between December 5th, 2021's broadcast of The Vanquishers, Flux's sixth and final chapter, and January 1st, 2022's premiere of Eve of the Daleks. Misleading New Who's viewers into expecting a spot of holiday piffle that's heavy on fun and light on consequences. 
to this expectation, Chibnall's message is clear. Dream on. Even if Eve of the Daleks does include laughter and jokes, some heartfelt and some awkward. It also qualifies as a festive New Who entry by considering notions of renewal, of starting afresh, and of beginning again, just like any good drama airing on the first of the year should, even if this outing's demented sense of humor subverts the same virtues it ostensibly upholds. And I mean demented in the most literal sense, since Chibnall structures Eve of the Daleks as a time loop installment revolving around the 13th Doctor, played by Jodie Whittaker, and her two companions, the delightful Yasmin Yaz Khan, played by Mandip Gill, and the pleasant Dan Lewis, played by John Bishop, getting exterminated by the Daleks. But not once. Oh, goodness no, far from once. Again, and again, and again, and again. So, dear listener, you can see the challenge that Eve of the Daleks poses for viewers desiring a jolly romp through the Yuletide cheer. The holiday season may enforce good tidings upon us, to the point of commercial madness, but that reality shouldn't obscure uncomfortable truths about the turning of one year into the next. All the chirpy advertisements, television events, radio programs, movies, gifts, carols, and in-the-street greetings that pervade the month of December run the risk of swamping our warm feelings in sentimental nonsense, whose programmed brightness offers up little more than cynicism disguising itself as optimism. Chibnall's response to this sense of falsity is to ask, in something approaching real time, why permit such contrived joviality to interfere with relishing a good, old-fashioned killfest, especially one provided by the always-happy-to-oblige Daleks? Four curmudgeons annoyed by the end of the year's excesses, count me among them, Eve of the Daleks provides a welcome respite from the saccharine effervescence of it all. How so? Oh, merely by showing us, in grim detail, the Doctor, Yaz, Dan, and the guest characters Sarah, played by Ashling B, and Nick, played by Ed Johnny Salmon, as they are hunted, targeted, and shot down, Gatling gun style, by the franchise's most feared extraterrestrial menaces. Again, and again, and again, and again. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, happy day. Whoa. Anyone else got a proper deja vu? Yeah. Didn't we just get exterminated? Blood by the storage unit. Here he is. Correct. 
Section 2. Roundabouts. If my celebration of Team TARDIS's repeated demise seems, well, unseemly, please don't mistake this approval for the delight expressed by those New Who fans, by which I mean haters, that so detest Chibnall's and Whitaker's era of the franchise that they rejoice at seeing the 13th Doctor murdered on screen. Not once, not even twice, no, not even three times, again and again and again and again. Since my Series 11, 12, and Flux reviews evince my general admiration for Chimnall's work as New Who's showrunner, I can only praise his commitment to puncturing the Yuletide season's cliched pieties by stuffing his festive specials with enough death and destruction to send up, with marvelous gusto, the mind-numbing artificiality that infests almost every waking moment of nearly every December day. Plus, if we confess to ourselves that the year 2021 did improve upon the nadir that 2020 was, although saying so judges 2021 by the lowest of bars, we can see Chibnall's wisdom in welcoming 2022 with the sight of Doctor Who's murderous alien pepper pots rampaging through a Manchester, England self-storage business. After 2019's resolution and 2021's revolution of the Daleks, Eve of the Daleks marks the final entry in what we may loosely call Chibnall's Dalek Trilogy. I say loosely because Eve isn't directly connected to its predecessor in the way that revolution was, but, since all three involved the Daleks causing mayhem on New Year's Day, these specials form a unit, albeit one with plenty of slack in it. Whereas the previous two New Year's Day specials focused upon a reanimated surveillance Dalek and its progeny, Eve tracks executioner Daleks as they invade Sarah's cheekily named Elf Storage after detecting the TARDIS's presence in Elf's basement. These Daleks, moreover, have been dispatched to kill the Doctor in revenge for her destruction of their fleet during the climax of The Vanquishers, which tells us that the Daleks didn't send all their ships to rendezvous with the Cybermen and Santoran War Council in what they mistakenly believed would be an alliance to ensure their own survival during the Flux's final destructive push through what remained of the universe. The Doctor, you may recall, commandeered the Santarans' plan to betray the Cybermen and the Daleks by moving, at the last minute, the Lupari shield protecting these three nemeses to safeguard only the TARDIS, thereby ensuring that the Flux annihilates all three fleets. Eve of the Daleks, as such, functions as Flux's seventh chapter, or, perhaps, a coda to Flux's events that fails to resolve, for well and good, exactly what shape the universe has taken after the Doctor successfully expunges the Flux shockwave from existence in Chapter 6's final act. My review of The Vanquishers, titled Time's Orphan, discusses how Flux leaves this question open, or at least ajar enough to suggest that the three 2022 New Who specials, commissioned by the British Broadcasting Corporation, or BBC, the episodes that will conclude Chibnall's time as Who's showrunner, must deal in some way with the Flux's ultimate consequences. They will also provide the dramatic impetus for the 13th Doctor's departure from the program, as well as 13's eventual regeneration into her successor. Eve starts down this path by revealing that the TARDIS creates the time loop in which the characters find themselves trapped. The Doctor triggers a self-reset of her time ship, a process that will clear out all the books that break, minimize the number of doors, and be back to full function. After the TARDIS's internal geometry shift unexpectedly throughout Flux's run. 
Rebooting the TARDIS causes red cracks to appear all over its police box exterior and prods its cloister bell to clang, which always foreshadows doom, or, at least, bad times ahead. And bad times there are, aplenty. The surviving Daleks, who somehow escaped the flux in a plot point that this entry never explains, send an execution squad after the Doctor to isolate her inside elf storage and then murder everyone in their path. Even innocent bystanders like Sarah and Nick, who have no connection to Team TARDIS beyond being unlucky enough to encounter the Doctor, Yaz, and Dan when they turn up in Manchester on New Year's Eve 2021. All five characters quickly realize that they're repeating the same small fragment of time, although this fragment loses one minute during each pass through the loop, which are our first clues that Chibnall rewrites, or simply ignores, certain significant conventions of the typical time loop narrative. The most famous reference for cinematic and televisual time loops is Harold Ramis's now classic 1993 film, Groundhog Day, written by Danny Rubin and starring Bill Murray as a Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania weatherman who inexplicably lives the day of February 2nd over and over and over again. Despite this movie's popularity, the finest time loop narrative ever committed to film may well be Star Trek The Next Generation's brilliant fifth season episode Cause and Effect, written by Brandon Braga and directed by series star Jonathan Frakes, which premiered one year before Groundhog Day and sees the USS Enterprise D collide with another starship before getting caught in what chief engineer Geordi LaForge, played by LeVar Burton, calls a temporal causality loop that treats us to the site of the Enterprise-D exploding again and again and again and again. Time loop episodes in films have been standard fare ever since, whereas, during the late 1980s and early 1990s, they were mostly the province of literary, televised, and cinematic science fiction. This fact helps explain why Rubens and Ramis's Groundhog Day became a sleeper hit that has grown more beloved with each passing decade. This romantic comedy diverges from its genre's usual pablum thanks to the sensational twist that Reuben and Ramis pull off, namely plunging their arrogant protagonist, Phil Connors, played, it must be said, to perfection by Murray in his best movie role, before Sofia Coppola's 2003 Lost in Translation, into the apparent nightmare of reliving Groundhog Day in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. The numerous repetitions Connors survives, however, force him to realize that authentic connections with other people need not always be sentimental tripe, but, in fact, can become balms that help us endure the difficulties inherent in shuffling along this mortal coil. Cause and Effect, however, remains my favorite filmed iteration of this premise by showing its characters experiencing deja vu when passing through each new loop, to the point that paranoia overtakes their lives. Every waking moment reminds them of earlier experiences that they cannot quite recall, with director Jonathan Frakes employing handheld cameras in these scenes to marvelous effect. Even more memorable is hearing Captain Jean-Luc Picard, played by Patrick Stewart, bellowing, All hands abandon ship! Repeat! All hands abandon Before the Enterprise D's destruction, the sight of which jars the audience each time, for, in all, that it occurs. Brannon Braga structures his teleplay to unveil slowly the mystery of the crew's recursive existence in measured doses that allow them not only to piece together, but also to devise a clever solution to this quandary. 
Whether one traces the origins of time loop stories back to Ken Grimwood's 1986 novel Replay, to Philip K. Dick's 1974 short story A Little Something for Us Tempanots, to Richard Lupoff's 1973 short story 1201 p.m., and its two screen adaptations from 1990 and 1993, to Richard Matheson's 1953 short story Death Ship, and its excellent Matheson-scripted 1963 Twilight Zone televisual adaptation to Malcolm Jameson's 1941 short story Doubled and Redoubled, to P.D. Ospensky's 1915 novel Strange Life of Ivan Asokin, to William Dean Howell's 1892 short story Christmas Every Day, to Charles Dickens' 1843 novella A Christmas Carol, or even to the myth-cum-philosophical notion of the eternal return, these narratives frequently show, as does cause and effect, their characters gradually uncovering their predicament before trying, and sometimes facing as in Dick's and Matheson's stories, plus Matheson's Twilight Zone teleplay, to remedy the situation. Chibnall dispenses with this aspect to jump Eve of the Daleks into its time-tripping action as rapidly as possible. Seeing the Doctor, her companions, and the guest characters repeatedly shot dead approximates the effect of seeing the Enterprise-D repeatedly explode in cause and effect, although Chibnall chooses not to explain how the Daleks can transport execution squads into these loops. Perhaps this omission is a wise decision, one that mimics Groundhog Day's refusal to explain how Phil Connors gets trapped inside his time loop. Such details would merely distract from the ticking clock scenario that Chibnall devises for his characters, having each new loop decrease in duration by one minute. Eve begins at 10 minutes to midnight on December 31st, 2021, giving Team TARDIS, Sarah, and Nick nine loops in which to defeat the Daleks by escaping Elf Storage's cavernous building, around which the Daleks have placed a powerful energy shield. Sarah and Nick, with no prior experience or preparation, hold up well to these weird happenings. Yaz and Dan may be more familiar with the timey-wimey shenanigans that life with the Doctor entails, but they also quickly grow accustomed to awakening after being exterminated by the Daleks, making this episode slaughter both terrible and fun to watch. Chibnall constructs a paradoxical tone for Eve of the Daleks that may seem ill-suited to a holiday special, but that fits nicely into New Who's tradition of Christmas and New Year's Day installments, whose havoc, mayhem, and pandemonium the Doctor must put right. On this score, Eve of the Daleks makes the grade. Nick, why have you got all those names on the shelves? They're just his girlfriends. They're what? Oh, this is where I keep stuff for women I split up with. You know, just in case they ever ask for it back. I don't want it in my eye line, <laughs> you know, at home. I have a very small flat. They said it's a flat, but it's more like a box room with a door and a toilet with like a kitchenette on the top of a toilet. <laughs> you have a lot of ex-girlfriends. <sighs> They're alive still out there? Of course. Oh, God. Of oh. course. <laughs> Yeah, no, not all of them were serious. Some were just, like, a few days. Man, you are weird. What? Bidash. Bidhart! He, he comes here. Here, every New Year's Eve, which is weird enough in itself. And you want to, to do all of, all of this. Blah, which is, that is, that is weird. He's 
standing right there. It's fine. No, it's not fine. It's not fine. You're the reason that I'm here. You're the reason that I'm trapped in a time loop with a, a, a robot. Daleks. Oh, my, with stupidly named robots of people I don't even know. Also, what? Why? So you can catalogue your monopoly? Just throw stuff away! Um... Section 3. Thereabouts. Doctor Who has its own tradition of time loops to which Chibnall pays heed in Eve of the Daleks. The final serial to feature Patrick Troughton's second Doctor, 1969's The War Games, sees the Time Lords place the self-styled Warlord's home planet into a time loop, while the Gallifreyans do the same to the Varden homeworld in 1978's fourth Doctor serial, The Invasion of Time. The Fourth Doctor, played by Tom Baker, earlier deplores the Time Lords consigning Planet 5 to a temporal loop in 1977's Image of the Fendal, while his predecessor, John Pertwee's Third Doctor, deliberately places the TARDIS into a time loop to defeat the scavenger creature Axos in 1971's The Claws of Axos. Classic Who isn't alone in employing causality loops either, with the 11th Doctor's exploding TARDIS suspending his future wife, River Song, played by Alex Kingston, and itself in a loop during Series 5's splendid two-part finale. 2010's The Pandorica Opens and The Big Bang. This move keeps them both alive long enough to permit the Doctor to end the loop once and for all. Series 5's penultimate episode, 2010's The Lodger, finds a damaged alien timeship that eerily resembles a TARDIS, create numerous temporal loops within the vicinity of its crash site while trying and failing to repair itself. Even New Who's first two spin-offs include causality loops in key episodes. Torchwood's Captain Jack Harkness, played by John Barrowman, finds himself trapped for five years inside a loop that repeats every two weeks. In this program's Series 2 premiere episode, 2008's Chibnall-scripted Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, while The Trickster, played by Paul Mark Davis, imprisons Sarah Jane Smith, played by Elizabeth Sladen, and The Tenth Doctor, played by David Tennant, in a temporal loop during the Sarah Jane Adventures mid-season Series 3 serial, 2009's The Wedding of Sarah Jane Smith. Although not billed as a time loop outing, Stephen Moffat's Series 9 masterpiece, 2015's Heaven Sent, certainly qualifies. In this installment, stored versions of the Twelfth Doctor's consciousness relive the same events inside a spooky castle that is actually a mental construct of the Doctor's, who finds himself locked into his own confession dial, a Gallifreyan device that allows dying Time Lords to purify themselves before their minds are uploaded to the Gallifreyan supercomputer known as the Matrix. Heaven Sent is Moffat's extraordinary meditation upon loss, grief, and renewal a status to which Chibnall doesn't aspire in Eve of the Daleks, an episode that plays more like a temporal locked room mystery than an intellectual examination of how we recover from the pain of losing the people we hold nearest and dearest. 
Eve is a fun romp staged with verve by first-time New Who director Annetta Lawfer that includes two strange, troubled people as its primary guest characters. Sarah and Nick, to whom Chibnall gives no surnames, spend every New Year's Eve at Elf Storage, with Sarah keeping her facility, inherited from a dead great-uncle, open for Nick, who visits his storage unit every December 31st. Sarah would rather be anywhere else, so she rails against her unseen business partner, Jeff, in angry phone calls that berate Jeff for always skipping his New Year's Eve duties as the business's attendant, which leaves Sarah to ensure that Nick has access to his unit rather than partying the night away. Both people, whether they realize it or not, live a looping existence that sees them arrive at Elf Storage every New Year's Eve to endure the same banal conversations, half-hearted jokes, and leaden banter. Nick, to the surprise of no one, is sweet on Sarah, but she doesn't notice or doesn't care. Celebrating the holiday with her friends and family, including her pleasantly dotty mother, Mary, played by Pauline McLynn, is, for Sarah, far more important. Ashling B. plays Sarah as a put-upon woman whose curt, snappish retorts risk making her that most feared-of-all quality for female characters in film and television, unlikable. B is a wonderful comic performer who infuses Sarah with intelligence, impatience, and cutting wit. Indeed, so cutting that Sarah rebukes the Doctor for luring the Daleks to elf storage in the first place, and for not quickly finding ways to send them away. Although I appreciate Chibnall allowing Sarah to remain quick-witted and razor-tongued all the way through Eve of the Daleks, some observers find this character one-dimensional with the well-known Doctor Who YouTube commentator Harbo Holmes pronouncing Sarah in his withering video essay assessment of this installment, an Irish stereotype. For the record, she isn't. Ed Johnny Salmon is just as good as the not nearly as smooth as he wishes to be Nick, who reveals to Sarah and Team Tardis that he fills his storage unit with items that his many girlfriends leave in his flat after ending their relationships with him, just in case they one day ask for them back. Nick labels each piece, be it board game or clothing, with the woman's name in the years that they dated in a scene that sees the Doctor, Yaz, Dan, and Sarah gawk at Nick as if he's a psychopath who, while not exactly a stalker, develops such odd relationships with women that he might as well be. The clear implication, at least to me, is that Nick has few girlfriends, or possibly none at all, but buys merchandise to bring to his storage unit, which gives this sad man an excuse to talk with Sarah, whom he wishes to date but won't ask out, perhaps because she has no time for his fumbling attempts to engage her attention. Chibnall hits upon the same themes of loneliness, miscommunication, and misconnection that make Groundhog Day a contemporary classic, but to lesser effect. Sarah's anger with the never-seen Jeff suggests that they were once romantic partners, maybe even a living couple whose breakup forced Jeff to move into elf storage, despite Sarah telling him not to do so. These details sketch portraits of Sarah and Nick as two solitary people who only overcome their fears of opening up to one another by being exterminated by the Daleks again and again and again and again, which is the most depressing take on 21st century dating I've watched since the pandemic began. Sarah and Nick's unlikely courtship culminates in Sarah deciding, impulsively it seems, to travel around the world with Nick once they and Team Tardis escape the time loop by using Jeff's conveniently amassed fireworks arsenal to destroy elf storage and the Daleks infesting its corridors. 
Chibnall cares less about realism here than he does emotional complications, with Sarah and Nick's newfound connection functioning as a twisted bookend to the happy ending of 2019's Resolution, in which guest characters Lynn, played by Charlotte Ritchie, and Mitch, played by Nikesh Patel, become romantically involved after surviving the reconnaissance Daleks' depredations. Sarah, maintaining her spiky attitude, is only half charmed by Nick as they depart for the airport, but the fact that she runs away with a man whom some audience members liken to a stalker or an incel makes this particular conclusion more troubling than Chibnall intends. I can't execute the plan in time if it's dark. Stay here. No, we stay here. I need to know where you are. We've only got four minutes here. Stop leaving us all the time. We're all worried, but I'm trying to keep everyone safe. Sold her. Sold her what? How you feel about her? I don't know what you mean. Yeah, you do. Is it that obvious? Well, maybe not to a good-hearted weirdo. I spent four years traveling the world with you. I saw it then. You didn't half came looking at that hologram. I didn't. I mean, it was just that it, she just. I don't know what to do, Dan. I've never told anyone. Not even myself. Just tell her. It's not that easy. Look, I took way too long to tell somebody that I liked them, and then the universe ended and everything got messy. I wouldn't want that to happen to you, Sheffield. Section 4, Whereabouts. The largest revelation about romance in Eve of the Daleks, however, is Yaz's confession to Dan that she is, in fact, in love with the 13th Doctor. Mandip Gill plays this subtext intermittently during Series 12 and throughout Series 13, so its confirmation here is no real surprise, yet a victory for fans who consider Yaz among the best queer characters on British television. Dan notices Yaz's affection for the Doctor in more than one flux installment, so he counsels Yaz to declare her feelings, referring to his aborted romance with Flux's Diane Curtis, Nadia Albina's Museum of Liverpool employee, as evidence of what might happen if Yaz waits too long. John Bishop and Mandip Gill are terrific in this scene, particularly when Yaz tells Dan, I've never told anyone, not even myself. Gill's hopeful hesitance is perfectly calibrated to Yaz's dialogue, casting her character's love for the Doctor in a different light than Martha Jones's unrequited love for Tenet's Tenth Doctor during Series 3. This good character work ends too quickly as Eve of the Daleks concludes, although the Doctor glances longingly at Yaz while they watch the fireworks display above the destroyed elf storage site. Dan silently observes this reaction, which assures us that Chibnall will return to Yaz and the Doctor's relationship in his final two episodes as New Who's showrunner, Easter 2022's Legend of the Sea Devils, and October 2022's BBC Centenary special titled The Power of the Doctor. 
As such, I hope that Yaz's love for the Doctor doesn't mandate her death before Thirteen regenerates, even by way of sacrifice, since Yaz is too good a character to kill off, particularly considering all the dead-but-not-dead exits that Stephen Moffat created for his era's female companions, namely Karen Gillan's Amy Pond, Jenna Coleman's Clara Oswald, and Pearl Mackey's Bill Potts. Two final observations about Eve of the Daleks demonstrate Chibnall's commitment to tying up loose ends as his time aboard Doctor Who's production team draws to a close. The first sees the character of Carl Wright, played by Johnny Dixon, return to New Who for the first time since Jodie Whittaker's inaugural outing as the 13th Doctor, Series 11's premiere episode, better known as 2018's The Woman Who Fell to Earth. Carl, a Sheffield dock worker at that time, is saved by the newly regenerated Doctor from becoming a trophy captured and killed during Stenza warrior Zim Shaw's ritual hunt. After the Doctor defeats this antagonist, Carl, while operating a tall crane, kicks Zim Shaw, played by Samuel Oatley, off its upper level in an attempt to kill him that causes the Doctor to rebuke Carl for mistreating a defeated enemy who's in retreat. Carl pops up again in Manchester in Eve of the Daleks, recording the Elf Storage fireworks display on his smartphone while flippantly asking, Just for me, is it? His reappearance may simply be a one-off grace note that Chibnall includes to bring his era of New Who to a tidy finish, or it may suggest that Carl will play a more significant role in the 13th Doctor's end. The second observation disturbingly connects Eve's time loop to Flux's events, specifically to the Ravager's final plan as enunciated by Azure, played by Roshenda Sandal, and her brother, Swarm, played by Sam Spruill, in The Vanguishers. While holding the Doctor captive near a floating, rickety, large, impossible house that represents the suppressed memories of the Doctor's life as the timeless child, Azure tells Thirteen, The final Flux destroys... We stop it, wind it back, and watch it again, and again, and again. A constant, destructive loop. Why? Because that is what you did to us. You and Division left us suffering. This is how we will repay you. Suspended, feeling every death every dying particle on a loop. This notion of destroying the universe bit by bit, then reversing these effects, then destroying the universe again, then reversing these effects endlessly, is terrible to contemplate. So the fact that the TARDIS creates the causality loop featured in Eve of the Daleks might imply that the Doctor's ship does so not only to save the Doctor, Yaz, and Dan from the Daleks' attack, but also to begin her penance for committing triple genocide in The Vanguishers. No matter how justified massacring the Daleks, the Cybermen, and the Santarans may be, Chibnall again hints that Doctor Thirteen must pay the price for her death-dealing, which, if true, makes 2022's New Year's Day special a dour hour indeed. Eve of the Daleks, in this light, is not New Who's best holiday episode, but also not its worst. So let's count our blessings, enjoy its murderous whimsy, and prepare ourselves with as much optimism and happiness as possible for the months-long wait until the next installment arrives. <laughs> this
This Eve of the Daleks review includes an endnote section, but for brevity's sake, I won't repeat its single note here. Please read Eve, 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 Eve of Destruction on the digital device of your choice to see this note and to access the hyperlink embedded in it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Vestibule Podcast. Please visit the newsletter's website at vestibule.substack.com to read this entry, to explore the images and linked resources available there, and to access all other posts. Until next time, this is Jason Vest, wishing you good tidings and good cheer. Thank you.